Monday the 4th of April 2010. The media totally misrepresents the real risks to our lives. Senator Stephen Conroy totally misrepresents the facts, again. And the government literally makes my life more painful. This is the 9pm Edict. Hello, I'm Still Gary, and welcome to the Edict. Yes, yes, days behind schedule, you poor deprived creatures. Didums, you'll cope. I have here in my hand drugs, opiates, methylmorphine. Perhaps you know my little friend here by its more common name, codeine. It's a packet of Panafin Plus that contains 75 tablets, well, 75 at the start of the weekend, each containing 200 milligrams of ibuprofen and 12.8 milligrams of codeine. Codeine, as you may know, is a powerful painkiller. Ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory analgesic. Analgesic is just a fancy word for painkiller, and you may know it by its brand names Nurofen or Advil. Indeed, Nurofen Plus is exactly the same combination of ibuprofen and codeine as my Panofen Plus here. Now, codeine is my friend because it's capable of dealing with the massive back and shoulder pain I sometimes get, a combination of too many long years at a computer sitting on dodgy chairs and a shoulder injury that resulted from being run down by a car more than two decades ago. My advice to you, never ever skimp on work chairs with proper back support and never ever trust what drivers will do when faced with traffic lights. Always carry a gun, shoot them in the face and claim self-defence. From the 1st of May, however, this box of pills will be illegal. Well, kind of. Last year, Australia's National Drugs and Poisons Scheduling Committee decided to further restrict the sale of these combination analgesics containing codeine. Now, Australia's system for regulating drugs and poisons is based on eight schedules, that is, lists. For any substance, the schedule it's on determines how it's packaged, marketed, distributed and sold. Schedule 8, for example, is controlled drug possession without authority illegal. It includes things like amphetamine and methadone. Schedule 6 poisons are substances with moderate to high toxicity and which may cause death or severe injury if ingested, inhaled or in contact with skin or eyes. I'll put some links to all this on my website so you can check it out. Now, codeine by itself is Schedule 8, possession without authority illegal. These combination analgesics containing codeine, however, were Schedule 2, pharmacy medicine. You could buy them over the counter at any pharmacy without a prescription, although not at a corner shop or supermarket. But from the 1st of May, two things happen. One, they become Schedule 3, pharmacist-only medicine. The difference is that they can't be advertised in the mass media, they're kept behind the counter and have to be physically handed to you by the pharmacist, he or she has to give you advice on their safe use. Two, package sizes will be limited to five days supply. Not these big ones, at least not without a doctor's prescription. Now I've been talking for more than three minutes now and there's an aircraft overhead and I know your attention span is limited. So here's three random sound effects to wake you up. The National Drugs and Poisons Schedule Committee is concerned about addiction. Codeine is addictive, like so many alkaloids such as caffeine, mescaline, cocaine, nicotine. The committee was presented with scare stories of people who were consuming 60 or 70 or more tablets a day every day. Yet there wasn't really anything other than anecdotal evidence like this that said the problem of codeine addiction was increasing, or indeed 
a major problem to begin with. Nor, as far as I can see from reading the minutes, was there any real evidence that restricting supply in this way reduces or prevents addiction. Opinion, yes, but not evidence. But my real concern here is how little attention seemed to be paid to the impact of this change on those legitimately using the drugs, particularly the price. A 75 tablet packet of Panafin Plus is only 15 or 20% more expensive than a 48 tablet packet. So I now have to pay almost double the price for the same medication and have double the number of personal hand the packet time wasting episodes with a pharmacist simply because I've got the brains to plan ahead and make sure my medicine cupboard is well stocked. Or I have to waste a doctor's time and get a prescription. Everybody is being penalised in real measurable ways to help prevent an addiction problem that hasn't actually been proven in real measurable ways using techniques that haven't actually been proven to be effective. At least $50 to $70 a year has just been taken from me, more if the price goes up to pay for the pharmacist's time, with no benefit to me and no demonstrated benefit to society. Now maybe that's no big deal for me but it would be for someone who's on really low income. The committee knew this would increase costs, but said, and I quote, questions of cost were not a directly relevant consideration for a scheduling decision. Now, the National Drugs and Poisons Schedule Committee has a problem. The only tool they have is this set of schedules. If you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But if it's not this committee's job to consider the cost benefits of these decisions, or indeed to consider what might be the best way to help the poor sods who become addicted to codeine, then whose is it? Now some corrections. Last Monday night I talked about racing car drivers. Why, I don't know, because it has to be one of the most pointless and self-indulgent sports in the world. But I got it wrong. Driver Mark Webber may have spoken out against the nanny state of Victoria, but it was his colleague Lewis Hamilton who'd been caught doing the so-called burn-outs. Thank you for the correction. Like I care anyway. Also on Monday's program, I mentioned Senator Stephen Conroy's rather odd attack on Google and two factual errors he'd supposedly made about Eric Schmidt. I said Conroy called him a founder of Google, which Conroy did, but Schmidt is in fact the hired CEO. But I also said Conroy called him Eric Smith, not Schmidt. But listen more closely. Conroy did get that bit right. Minister Smith said, said the following. Minister Smith said, said the following. Sorry about that, Senator. But I still think it's a weird strategy to make Google your enemy. And I'd still like to poke Senator Conroy about that line of Eric Schmidt's he quoted. He also said recently to Wall Street analysts, we love cash. In a sentence, that was it, just, we love cash. Yes. <laughs> so when people say, shouldn't we just leave it up to, you know, the Googles of this world to determine what the filtering policy should be, and make no mistake, anybody who wants to go onto Google's sites now and look up their filtering policy will actually find they filter more material Minister, on a broader range of topics than we, we are proposing we, we, we to have put to, forward. We, <laughs> I'll back our parliament to stand fast on these issues we have better than Google. Yes, Eric Schmidt did indeed say we love cash. But Google reckons it was taken out of context. Well, it was. I've looked it up. It was part of a regular conference call to Google's investors explaining the company's financial position. 
routine stuff. Google currently holds plenty of cash reserves and likes it that way. And Google isn't alone, not by a long shot. Have a listen to the story from this American public radio program, Marketplace it's called, from just before Christmas. Yes, more than three months ago. Alcoa can't wait to partner with a Saudi Arabian mining company on a big joint venture. The American aluminum giants put a shiny bow on that $11 billion deal and wrapped it up today, which might not seem all that unusual in, shall we say, better times. But you might recall that just last week Exxon put up $30 billion to buy XTO Energy. How can these companies do all this buying in the midst of the Great Recession? Here's a hint, it ain't gift cards. It turns out they've got a lot of cash on hand. In fact, as Marketplace's Jeremy Hobson reports from New York, cash reserves at the biggest firms in the country are at their highest levels in 40 years. When Google starts spending again, the search for dollars won't take a tenth of a second, and it'll yield about 22 billion results. On a recent conference call, CEO Eric Schmidt told investors the company's got plenty of cash in its wallet. We hope that that will continue for a long time. We love cash. Alcoa loves it, too. The aluminum giant's holding 28% more cash than it was last year. Here's spokesman Kevin Lowry. It's being conservative, and it seems to be the prudent thing. So when the economy around the world begins to improve, then we'll be in a much better and stronger position moving forward. Now, Google and Alcoa are two well-known firms. But Howard Silverblatt, a senior index analyst at Standard & Poor's, says they've got plenty of company. Just look at the quarterly reports, he says, and you'll see that businesses, large and small, are hoarding cash. Over the last several years, companies have become stingy on what they're spending. But what we've seen in the last six to seven months is companies really holding on to their money. How much are they holding? On average, nearly 10% of their value. The Marketplace report goes on to say that companies aren't spending their cash because they're still nervous about the economy and they can't find anything to invest in just now. So in other words, Senator Conroy has taken a straightforward statement about Google's financial position, a position held by many other big companies right now, in fact, a position that indicates good, cautious financial management, and he's tried to say that it's evidence that Google values money more than taking a moral stand. Now, as I've said before, there's plenty of reasons to be critical of Google. But quite frankly, that kind of misrepresentation says something about Senator Conroy's own moral stance. Now, what else has happened over the past few days? Uh, the Vatican is sulking that people are trying to smear the Pope because, well, more and more allegations of child sexual abuse by priests keep emerging and he's not doing anything about it. Gosh, I can't imagine why people would be upset about that. Apple has a new product. Yeah, a million words have already been written about that one. Um, Six-year-old twins were caught with cocaine in their underpants. I suppose one really ought to ask why people were looking in six-year-olds' underpants. Which is worse, cocaine smuggling or looking in children's underpants? Ah, here we go. Here we go. Australian Bureau of Statistics publication number 3303.0, Causes of Death, released on Wednesday last week. Now, if you were to skip through today's news, here's the causes of death or potential death you'd be worried about. Plane crashes, murder, car crashes, especially those involving youths or the so-called hoons, a lone gunman shooting you in a restaurant, death in police custody, landslides, terrorists, serial killers... Hmm... 
Well, here's the real top 10 causes of death for Australians. Ischemic heart diseases, that is, heart disease related to reduced blood flow, like heart attacks, strokes, dementia and Alzheimer's disease, trachea and lung cancer, chronic lower respiratory diseases, diabetes, cancer of the colon and rectum, blood and lymph cancer, including leukemia, heart failure, diseases of the kidney and urinary system, prostate cancer. The next 10 includes four more kinds of cancer, including breast cancer at number 11, suicide, more kinds of heart disease, cirrhosis and other diseases of the liver, and falling over. Even road accidents aren't in the top 20. They account for less than 1% of all deaths, and aviation accidents, i.e. plane crashes, are hardly even visible. Death by assault, that is any violent crime against you, no matter what, including terrorism, is one-tenth of one percent. Once more, and I know this is something I keep coming back to, but the picture of our world painted by the media is nothing like reality. I think that calls for an edict. This is edict number 10. If you are a media worker, that is, a journalist or a producer or an editor or anyone involved in the production of news or current affairs, then starting now, right now, you will read every single release that comes from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And if any of your planned stories paint a picture of the world which is at odds with the statistical reality, if it emphasises a risk which is actually rare, or doesn't even exist, if it proposes a crime wave when it's just the random coincidence of unrelated events, if you choose to start reporting every event of some type when previously you didn't, just because you want to create a new narrative of fear, then you shall be declared a danger to society, and every citizen will be given the right to piss upon you, on site, in public, without penalty. Well, that's all for the edict for now. If you'd like to leave a comment, go to the website, stillgarian.com. If you'd like to leave an audio comment, Skype to Stillgarian or phone Sydney plus 612-8011-3733. The next edict will probably be on Tuesday, the 6th of April. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. You'll just have to check the RSS feeds and find out. But it'll be sometime around 9pm or before, because this is the 9pm Edict.